Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone who's in need. That's whether you're stocking up on socks, shirts, or underwear. All essentials that we wear. Yet designed with care. Breathable, tagless, seamless, no-show socks engineered to not fall down. T-shirts that hang just right. This stuff matters. And it does something for you and those in need. Go to bombas.com slash legends and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash legends for 20% off. Bombas.com slash legends. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a Viking saga where we'll see the dangers of having multiple spouses who hate each other how you can finally afford a house if you catch a merman, and why it's good to let that stranger spit in your food. The creatures this week are the Welsh elves, who will either steal your children or just want you to hurry up through the line at the grocery store. This is Myths and Legends, episode 288, The Pillage People. a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week, it's the story of a family from the Viking Age in Iceland, and how you can have a much bigger family if you keep on marrying people. Does it matter that you're already married? It probably should, but it doesn't for today's characters. We're going to jump in with a king who has a surprise for his wife another wife. I have a surprise for you, Alric said to his wife, Signy. Signy smiled as she stumbled into the room blindfolded. Wow, must be a big deal. Her husband was gone for a long time on that trip up north. As far as she knew, there were only farmlands and brewers up that far. She couldn't imagine what it could be. The blindfold fell from her eyes, and she saw... Gerhild. Who was she? My wife, Alric bellowed. Signy said that that didn't make any sense. If Gerhild was his wife, what was Signy? Also my wife, Alric grinned. He was glad they were getting to know each other. I don't recognize the name Gerhild. Signy walked forward. Which king is your father? Her father was the king of Voss. Gerhild looked at the floorboards. Auric stepped in between them. Hey now, why was Signy bringing up all this aristocratic nonsense? Gerhild was a lady of the people. She was an ale brewer's daughter. An ale brewer's daughter, Signy repeated. Signy said that she had been a princess. Now she was a queen. She wasn't sharing her marriage with an ale brewer's daughter. She stormed off. Auric held up a finger. Co-queen, you're co-queens now. He smiled at Gerhild when Signy was gone. This was the trio's first fight. This is so us. It might have been their first fight, but it wasn't their last. It's safe to say that Signy and Gerhild had different goals. Gerhild was raised with minimal prospects, a life of labor ahead of her. Signy had been raised as a princess. She knew her worth and wouldn't compromise on this. Gerhild spent the next few months ingratiating herself to her new husband. 
Signy didn't speak to either of them without vitriol. Alaric called the trio together for a marriage meeting. Look, this obviously wasn't working out. Signy agreed with that. Gerhild, though, said that she loved her co-queen. If Signy hated her, that was on Signy. The elder queen rolled her eyes. Auric said that he had a plan in place so that there would only be one queen. Signy was about to ask when Gerhild's ride came to take her home. Or, you know, she could have Gerhild killed. It's not like she had been thinking of that and planning that since she laid eyes on the teenager with whom she had to share her marriage. Auric said that those were ideas, but he had something else in mind. A competition. Whoever could brew the best ale stayed as the one true queen. Sidney said, Seriously? Ale brewing? She was competing at ale brewing with the ale brewer's daughter. Yeah, now, this was fair. The king grinned awesome. He was glad she saw it that way. All right, let's get this set up. The competition started, and the women gathered their ingredients. The situation was like Iron Chef, but solely focused on alcohol, and the winner stayed married to a sleazy king. Before they started, both women said their prayers. Like, literally, they prayed to the Norse deities. Signy, the first queen and former princess, prayed to Freya, the goddess associated with love, fertility, beauty, war, and satyr magic. Long-time listeners will remember her as the goddess who came to live with the Aesir, after her own tribe of gods was defeated in the Aesir-Vanir War. She has her own Valhalla-like place, a flying cloak Thor almost married a giant over, and a carriage pulled by cats. How that thing gets anywhere is beyond me. Anyway, not sure if she was great at ale-brewing, but Freya was a powerful woman, and so was Signy. So it seemed like a match. She had been praying to Freya her whole life and the goddess hadn't let her down, the last few weeks notwithstanding. So, maybe Freya would see her through this. Gerhild prayed to Hood. You might be thinking, I've heard myths and legends. I have a passing, if not slightly anachronistic, familiarity with Norse myth. I got the goat joke in the most recent Thor movie, and was a little bummed out that he didn't eat them and have them regenerate, but also understand that that would have been really confusing and taken away from the plot. I've never heard of Hood. Well, neither had anyone else in the hall. Hey, what's up? Hood, the stranger who was standing by Gerhild's ale stuff, winked. Well, winked or blinked. Hard to tell. He only had one eye. Long story short, Alric's buddy, Cole, was a retainer who, getting wind about a beautiful daughter to the north, had made the definitely not creepy decision of going to take a look at her so he could set her up with his already married king. After Cole left Gerhild's home, a stranger had appeared to the young woman. She wanted to be queen, didn't she? Gerhild said, of course, Odin, er, uh, Mr. Hood. Mr. Hood, the one-eyed wanderer, said good. He pointed to the road, just outside of town, and told her a date. On that date, she was to stand out there and meet her new husband. But... After that, she had to call on Hood in all things. She agreed, absolutely, definitely. Um, quick clarification, did Mr. Hood want her to call on him as Mr. Hood, or... Hood said, yes. What other name did he have? Gerhild shook her head. 
No idea. Hood it was. No, No worries. And indeed, Hood it was. Everyone was surprised by the one-eyed stranger who had appeared in the hall, and, while at first it might seem weird to be praying to a guy who just wandered in the hall wearing a ragged cloak, it quickly became apparent to Signy and Alric who this actually was, which was why they were cool with him clearing his sinuses, getting a big mouthful, and spitting in Gerhild's ale concoction. When that was done, he said he would be back for what was between the tub and her. She didn't quite understand what he was talking about, but she did win the competition. Gerhild's ale was amazing. I mean, she probably didn't even need Odin's spit. She was raised by brewers, but all the same, that godly loogie put her over the top. Signy went home in fury to her father, and Alric was happy that there would be no consequences for spurning his powerful first wife or his second making a deal with Odin. Cole, the guy who set up Alric and Gerhild, had a shiny new district that he ruled, given to him for said matchmaking. But always the bridesmaid or sleazy bride procurer, and never the bride, Cole decided that it was his time. He wanted to marry someone. He didn't know who, but it turned out that the someone he did eventually want to marry did not want to marry him. She wanted to marry Gunvald. Who's Gunvald? Gerhild asked the messenger as she was nursing Vicar, she and Alric's son. Alric said Gunvald was the foster father of Joser, and Joser's a king. A lot of names this week. Well, they're in a blood feud, the messenger said. Alric rolled his eyes. Over this woman? Fine. He'll go talk to Joser. King to king. They'll hash this out. King Alric said he would leave immediately. He kissed his wife on the head and said his customary goodbye to his son. Vicar, I know you're a baby, but I'm leaving to go meet with some other Viking guys. If I don't come back, I want you to fixate on my death for the entirety of your life. Let it consume and define you until you find the right moment to murder my betrayers, leaving yourself a husk of a person unsure about your purpose in life aside from bloodshed, unable to love or be loved by anyone. All right, I'm out. King Joser! Alric boomed when he met Joser on the beach with a small landing party. Alric and his landing party facing Joser's entire army? Your retainer burned down my foster father's house. Gunvald is dead, King Joser said through gritted teeth. Alric laughed. Classic Cole. Bummer. Well, guess that little dating problem was solved, though. You know, silver lining. Joser said Alric would pay for Gunvald. Alric shrugged. Sure. What was the wear guild? The man price for the murder that they just could pay and get it out of the way. He was a king. He had a lot of cash on hand. Then the king looked down to the spear sticking out of his chest. That shouldn't be there. The last thing Alric's eyes saw were the Vikings walking over them to go slaughter his men. And that was your grandfather. Hjorleif heard from his father on King Hjor's deathbed. The old king, though strong, was sick and wanted to pass on the story of their family before he died. Wow, 
Can't believe Grandpappy was betrayed by a friend. Yorleaf shook his head. What? No. Your granddad was the other guy. Joser. The old king. Hjord Joser's son, explained. What? Hjorleaf tried to make sense. If Wait, if this story was about the family of Joser, why did he include all that other stuff about Auric and his family? Uh, because it's a good story? What are you, story police now? The old king said, then coughed. I'm just saying, why not tell the story of our family? Why tell the story of a family that tried to kill our people? The old king replied that couple things. One, the story of Alric and his wives and all that? Zany twists and turns? Odin spitting in ale? That's good stuff. Our family spent time hanging out drinking, which, yeah, fun, but this works better on retellings. Point number two, a vicar, the son, didn't try to kill our people. He killed our people. So many of them. You know Kvinharad? Woman's country? Horleaf grinned. Yeah, you love that region. It's called that because after Vicar grew up and took vengeance for his father, only widows lived there, the old king said. Stop short of killing your dad, though. Maybe he was feeling charitable. Maybe he felt like leaving dad alive to live the rest of his life in shame and failure was a more brutal punishment than a glorious death in battle and going to Valhalla. The dad king said that they clawed their way back from the brink, though, and now he was leaving his son a massive, powerful kingdom. And... That was true, though it was no thanks to Hjorleaf. Where his father and grandfather had been stoic and austere, Hjorleaf had never known a world where they were fighting for their lives, literally and figuratively, and he liked nice things. He had access to the royal treasury, and he was going to use it. Had to spend money to make money, though, or rather, spend money to take money. After the old king died, Hjorleaf left the kingdom in more capable hands, bought a massive ship in which he could fit 90 Vikings, and took off for Bjarmaland in modern-day Russia, but not before marrying Asa the Fair, the daughter of one of his jarls, aka one of his earls. You'd think that a little thing like being married might preclude you from, you know, getting married, but that's apparently a theme this week. On his trip, while staying with another king, he took a liking to that man's daughter, and he married Hild the Slender. But instead of leaving her there, he took her off raiding. Happy honeymoon, honey. The raids were successful. They got some money, killed a Brunmiji, a monster known as a well defiler. If you're wondering how you defile a well, well, the name apparently means, no joke, peas in a well in Old Norse. So you pee in wells. Quick note, it's unclear if this is an actual monster or just a big hairy guy who likes to pee in wells. Regardless, this one got a spear to the eye, but not before spouting off some stuff about how Hild's happy days were behind her. I mean, her honeymoon was a boat trip with her husband's 90 buddies, and she was talking to a guy who peed in wells, so that was probably a safe bet. Regardless, they left Bjarmaland and ended up in Denmark for the winter, in the court of King Hrydar, not the Hrydar we've recently talked about, but a different one. Now, if Hjorleaf had been paying attention during his father's stories of that other family that killed a lot of theirs, then he didn't show it, because there, in the court of King Hrydar, he noticed that Hrydar had a daughter. Even with his wife, like, right there, Hjorleaf said when it's love, it's love, and when it's lust, it's lust. 
it's definitely one of those two things. And he wanted to get married to this beautiful young woman. They can make this work. And they did. For about a week. Until the daughter, Hringya, ended up dead. Now, ostensibly, the story tells us that she died of sickness. Um, it also says that Hild hated her. So, you know, a lot of dots to connect there. There are many ways to get sick. And Hureleaf, the king, drying his eyes, didn't know where this mysterious illness had come from. He did know that he didn't want to catch it, so they very respectfully threw her coffin overboard. When that same coffin washed up on Hrydar's shores, without explanation, the Viking king was livid. Hureleaf, though, didn't know any of this. He went home after the death of one wife to introduce the other to his first. We'll learn all about catching mermen for fun and profit, but that will be right after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You caught a merman, Hureleaf said to the fisherman and his son. The two nodded. And you're like, just giving him to me? The two men nodded again. Okay, well, thanks. Want anything in return? Hureleaf asked. The two men said, some land would be nice. And so the king did. So if you've been paying attention this week, there's some life lessons. We've learned that if you want to be economically and socially mobile in medieval Iceland, you either have to set a king up with a wife, which, surprising number of opportunities there, or capture a merman. The king looked on the merman. So like, do we need a tank for you or... Just then, there was a crash from the other room. The candle boys were wrestling. Those scamps. I keep telling them, don't wrestle around lit candles in a longhouse made exclusively from wood and thatch. <sighs> but those candle boys are gonna wrestle, the king said. The merman rolled his eyes. Uh, tonight was the night, though, that the wrestling got rowdy enough that the candle boys put the candles out. Just then, there was a scream. When the candle boys got it together to relight the room, Asa stood there. Her mantle, her hood, was torn. She pointed a finger at Hild the Slender. She did this. She hated Asa. Now, since Hureleaf is collecting wives like our son collects Pokemon cards, you can't really be surprised that Hureleaf probably doesn't respect women too much. He rose from his seat, approached Hild, and struck her across the face. Holding her stinging cheek, she pointed down to the dog. It wasn't her. She didn't tear Asa's hood. It was the dog, Floki. So, for good measure, Hureleaf smacked the dog across the face, too. With that, the merman laughed. The king had no idea. Those two, Hild and the dog, they would save the king's life. Hureleaf's eyes widened. Wait, did the merman know stuff? Like... 
future stuff? Prophecies, yes, the Burnman said. So this next part is a variation of a classic trope that we've mentioned on this podcast at least twice, where a prophetic character laughs at something and then reveals the future. We talked about it the first time way back when adolescent Merlin laughed when Vortigern's goons were taking the kid to be executed. More recently, we actually told the story of a time that the merman laughed at a cheating wife and terrible husband. Anyway, Hureleaf, despite his kind of bad instincts when it came to getting married, knew the stories and made a deal. He would release the merman back into the sea if the merman would tell him his future. The future is always a bit cryptic, but Hureleaf caught the gist. A storm of steel was coming from Denmark, one of Odin's daughters, drenched in blood. Hureleaf let the merman go back into the sea and rushed home, sending out his arrow summons to raise an army. Hureleaf didn't know how soon that storm of steel was coming, though. And one night, not long after, Floki barked. Floki never barked. The king, remembering the merman's words, did what every horror movie tells you not to do. He went to investigate the dark woods alone. He was a Viking, though, and he did bring his spear. He saw the line of berserkers approaching his kingdom in the night. Hrydar had come. The king ran back, sounding the alarm, but emerged from the forest to see his longhouse in flames. It wasn't the candle boys, because those berserkers were not the only ones who were attacking. Hrydar had assembled an army to avenge his daughter. Hureleaf watched in anguish while his warriors fled the burning buildings and Hrydar's warriors carried off his wives and servants. An enemy berserker kind of helped him cope with that pain by showing him how minimal and transient it all was when he stabbed Hureleaf in the back, kicked him over, and went to go join in the looting. King Hureleaf opened his eyes. He was alive. He felt the wound on his back. Good. It was just a flesh wound. All those years of sitting around, drinking and feasting, had left him a thick protective layer of flesh. It hurt, a lot, but he would live. Little by little, people trickled in from the forest where they had fled. They found their way to the king's home. And Hureleaf as opposed to lording his power over his people like he had all of his life, invited them in. He understood their pain, their plight. Also, he needed someone to look over this wound on his back. This was the 8th century, and you do not mess around with infection. He healed, and his kingdom of ash grew. They buried the warriors and salvaged what ships they could from when Hrydar had burned the port. A few of the older men begged to go, but Hureleaf refused. No, no more people would die because of him. Well, that is, except for the guy that he was going to kill. He sailed off on his own, in a small boat, and landed, quietly, in Denmark a few weeks later. He had avoided his normal stops, the courts of other kings, inns, anyone who knew him, anyone who could warn Hrydar that he was coming. He spent almost a week in the grass, and the reeds, silently stalking behind the trees, witnessing the comings and goings of Hrydar's retainers and friends, the women, 
he saw Asa and Hild. They had been taken. They were like serving women in the house. Hureleaf knew when everything took place. He knew about the feasts and the parties. He threw rags over himself and sat alongside other travelers in the street to hear gossip. There was a problem, though. He needed an insider at the longhouse. He was his only shot at vengeance and rescuing his friends and wives. He couldn't rush in there and get himself stabbed. He had to be smart. Then, one night after dark, he saw her. Asa, one evening, was walking out to the storehouse. Alone, Hureleaf shook snow from his cloak. This was the best chance he was going to get. You're alone? Asa said, after Hureleaf explained everything. Why didn't Hureleaf bring an army? An army of what? Old men and children? Hureleaf said Hrydar had killed everyone. Asa swore. All right, okay. This problem was solvable. Hrydar paid his men well, but he wanted to maintain control, so he kept them on a short leash. If something happened to him, the men were loyal to whomever would pay them. All she really had to do was get Hureleaf in front of the king. Asa's eyes scanned the room. The ale barrels. She came out here to get a fresh one. If he got in that, she would make sure the king was close. And they opened it inside. Hureleaf realized that this was the best shot he was going to get. It got him in the hall, before the likely inebriated Hrydar, with a weapon in his hand. All he needed was a chance, and Asa was giving him one. He kissed his wife, one of them that is, and got in the barrel. We'll finish up this story, but that will, once again, be right after this. The signal was easy. The king would tap the keg. Hureleaf was to follow his wife's voice and stab the man standing in front of her because she would be holding him there, waiting for Hureleaf's sword. Hureleaf sat sweating while the hall feasted around him. He would like to say that he didn't need food or drink. His vengeance alone would sustain him. But he was really hungry. Toopers in the forest only went so far. A shout went up. More ale! A cheer followed. Hureleaf wiped the sweat from his palms and gripped his sword. He was ready. The servants rolled the barrel over and hefted him onto the table. When Hureleaf heard the voice, he kicked out, shattering the barrel. Sword pointed, he yelled. Ah, hey, Right on. Well, how you doing, bud? When Hureleaf exploded from the barrel, he didn't meet the unsuspecting, slightly drunk form of Hrydar, held in place by his wife, but a dozen of the man's mercenaries forming a half circle, spears pointed inward. At Hureleaf's body, Hureleaf's sword thudded to the wood, and he looked up to see Hrydar sitting on his throne, with Asa on his lap as the story says. So, we have another podcast going on right now, and this isn't like an ad or anything, it actually relates, where we talk about comic book heroes and villains. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But in that, I go back to classic villain mistakes. Stringing up the hero by his shoe straps above the fire, so he can not only publicly stew in anxiety all night, but slowly roast as well. That is top shelf villainy. But 
there are two sides to the top-shelf villainy coin. We'll talk about that more in a bit, though. By the way, it gets tricky to say heroes and villains in these Viking sagas. We should probably stick with protagonist and antagonist, because there are almost never people we would consider to be heroes in these stories. We only see someone as a hero because that's the perspective from which we started. Viking's gonna Viking. For Hjorleif, it was over. He had been betrayed by his second favorite wife. His kingdom was ash, and he was awaiting execution at the gallows tomorrow, if he didn't cook a lie first. But, strangely enough, he didn't cook alive. No one could quite figure out why, but the fire stayed low all night. Not even Hureleaf, whose face was right there, could discern the cause. She was that good. Hild, whenever she passed the fire that evening, would splash a cup of beer on the coals to try to keep them cool. Remember, like, not a long time ago at all, where I said there were two sides to the top-shelf villainy coin? Well, Kreidar strung Hureleaf up by his shoelaces, and, to his credit, didn't monologue. But he did leave him to go sleep for the night. Didn't want to have bags under his eyes for the big execution. When the hall was quiet, Hureleaf felt someone at his ankles. It was Hild. He whispered so many thank yous to Hild the Slender, his ride-or-die wife, who he had met out Viking and who had joined in on a lot of the raids and also maybe killed that third wife. They didn't need to talk about that now. He loved her so much. She said yes. Love. That's why she was doing this, not because she had gone from queen to a servant when Asa had ingratiated herself into Hridar's lap. Watch out for those coals, by the way. Hild would have thought it was funny that the guy who slapped her across the face when the dog tore Asa's hood landed beard first in coals. And she did think it was funny. Him silently screaming, slapping himself in the face trying to put his beard out, only made it that much better. Worried that the smell of burnt hair would wake up the hall, Hilden Hureleaf went to work finding Hrydar. It wasn't difficult. The guy slept on his own throne. And Asa, it said, slept in his lap. I'm not really sure if that means anything other than Asa literally sleeping in the king's lap, but that sounds really uncomfortable for all parties. It was even less comfortable, though, when Hureleaf walked up to the king and stabbed him in his sleep. With that one act, Hureleaf doubled the size of his holdings. He paid Hrydar's warriors to come over to his side. An easy task, because their boss was dead and didn't have any heirs. And just like that, Hureleaf was more powerful than ever. He returned triumphant. It was put up to a vote what should be done with Asa. And the people spoke. Drown her in a bog. Not sure if that was on the ballot or if people put their heads together and came up with that. And I'm also not sure why it's worse to be drowned in a bog than to just be regular drowned. I guess the bog is dirtier, but you probably only care for like two, three minutes tops. Whatever the reason for the punishment of treason, Hureleaf wasn't having it. He and Asa had been in love once, before he married two additional women. He understood why she turned on him, so he didn't drown her in a bog, but exiled her to the mountains. Hureleaf, with Hild under his arm, said that he was finished. From now on, he was a one-wife king. No more getting married to literally any woman who returned his affections or whose dad put him up for the night. He was now proudly monogamous. It only took kind of a lot of murder and the near desolation of his kingdom. And he meant it, too. He didn't get married again, which 
shouldn't be a big deal, but kind of was. He and Hilda Slender had two children, and because Norse legends hate podcasts, the first son of Hjorleif was Hjorolf. The second son was Half. It's spelled like half in English, but I feel like it should be pronounced Half, because Alf, like an Alfheim, is pronounced the way it is. I know we have Icelandic listeners, so if I'm off the mark, please let me know. Anyway, Hjorleif, the king dad, was ascendant. He showed what happened when anyone messed with him or threatened his people, and no one dared to. He could look forward to a long, peaceful reign. Or he could be dead within two years, which he was. You see, no one would mess with Hjorleif, but that didn't mean Hjorleif could help himself from messing with everyone. The story only tells us that he died doing what he loved, killing a bunch of people and taking their stuff. After today's story, you might not think it's easy to find a love that says, I cherish you so much that I won't marry any other people while I'm married to you. It's actually very easy, though. Hilda Slender, Hureleaf's widow, did it on the second try, and she didn't even need to keep Asman from roasting alive. Relationship goals. Half and his brother, Hjorolf, went with her to her new husband, King Asman's kingdom. Here, they were stepsons and honored princes, and at the ages of 12 and 13, Half and Hjorolf were ready. No joke, apparently you could go raiding at 12. That is, in this story, if you could contend with the stone. We'll wrap up the story next week when Half does get to go raiding and recruits 12 legendary warriors. And for some reason, the original doesn't say half's dozen at all. So Half is the main character of the saga. Usually when we tell stories from the sagas, I kind of skip over the beginning parts where they talk about all the members of the family. But this one was really fun. And we got to see chill, mostly non-murdery Odin again. It was also interesting because we had protagonists that could die. You didn't know when we were set up for a time jump. Anyway, next week is the other half of the story. Ha. If you didn't know, we have another podcast with Cast Media called Scoundrel. This week on that show, if you've ever wondered what Saul Goodman would be like as a medieval eye surgeon, well, meet the Chevalier John Taylor. If you're thinking, what's the worst thing that could come from an overly confident, under-equipped eye surgeon con man digging around in people's eyeballs for fame and fortune? Other than blinding and killing hundreds of people, of course. Well, he apparently ended the Baroque period of music when he killed Bach and Handel, both of which were his patients. It is a super interesting story. Check it out by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a shock potato party game, a hot potato game that shocks you and your friends, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show. That won't make you look at a game for children and think, you know what this needs? Electric shocks. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com membership. The creatures this week are the Ethlithlon from Welsh folklore. 
Because it's Welsh and I couldn't find much in the way of pronunciation help, I'm about 70% certain that I'm mispronouncing that, as I have a terrible track record with Welsh. Uh, they're also known as Welsh elves, so I'm just going to call them that. I've always thought that being tidy was its own reward. Like, you clean up your house so you can enjoy a clean house. Apparently, though, there are also cash and prizes. I wouldn't know this because I've never been tidy, but maybe some of you know it. If you keep your house clean, the Welsh elves will visit you and leave you gifts. If you don't, they could curse you. I feel like that has to be a pretty high bar, though, because if my office is any indication of the, quote, dirtiness or laziness that the Welsh elves detest, then I guess they have a high tolerance because I've never been punished by elves. That I know of. The Welsh elves are very small and very fair, wearing foxglove flowers as gloves. They eat toadstools and something called fairy butter, which I thought sounded kind of good until I learned that it's actually the opposite of that. Well, I should say, there are two types of fairy butter. One that I found in a blog post is from an 18th century Scottish recipe that's like a buttercream frosting. The other is a fungus that grows on the base of rotting trees that looks like if you made a brain out of Kraft mac and cheese and corn. You gotta be very careful about which one you eat. The Welsh fairies prefer the brain cheese one, though. Another thing they prefer? Stealing children. The only solution I found is to keep watching your kids at all times or else the fairies will steal them. I don't know how anyone dealt with the anxiety of being alive in the ancient medieval world. If you want to meet one of these creatures, well, they have been known to hang out far from humans in hills and on invisible islands and lakes. And they also tend to be invisible, except when they need to go grocery shopping. No joke, apparently they take a day a week like most of us, and unlike most of us, grow four times in size and wear their flower gloves out to the supermarket. There, they pick up groceries. So yeah, either be on your guard if, like me, you're a hat trick of lazy, untidy, and has kids for these little invisible monsters who will curse you and take your children, or look out for that angry person asking for the manager because the grocery store doesn't stock poisonous mushrooms. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to more of the music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music